IPI Freedom Dialogues, Turkey. Join the conversation on the future of quality journalism. Welcome to Freedom Dialogues, Turkey. I am Cansu Çamlıbel. Freedom Dialogues is brought to you from Istanbul by the International Press Institute, IPI. With this bi-monthly podcast, we are aiming to focus on the press freedom and freedom of expression issues in Turkey for raising awareness and hopefully attracting a broader support for the cause of journalism in Turkey and elsewhere around the world. In doing so, I would also try to host opinion makers and decision makers from Turkey and abroad because we believe the case of Turkey has to be studied carefully by politicians who try to work against the tide of the populist and authoritarian regimes around the world. Today, I have Sergei Lagodinsky with me to discuss the state of Turkey's media freedom of expression crisis in our country. Mr. Lagodinsky is a member of the German Green Party. He has been a member of the European Parliament since the 2019 European elections. He is the chairman of the Turkey-EU Joint Parliamentary Committee. Of course, he has other undertakings at the European Parliament. He has been serving as the vice chair of the European Parliament's Committee on Legal Affairs. However, the primary reason for having him with us on Freedom Dialogues today is certainly his work on Turkey. Welcome to Freedom Dialogues, Mr. Lagodinsky. It's an honor to have you here with us. Yes, and it's an honor to be with you and your listeners. Thank you for inviting me. For our audience who might not be familiar with the work of the EU-Turkey Joint Parliamentary Committee, could you briefly remind us about what you do? Yes, it's a group of parliamentarians from the European Parliament on the one side and from the Grand National Assembly on the other side who interact and who are supposed to be meeting on a regular basis. It doesn't always happen for various reasons, sometimes for political reasons. Now, obviously, also we have a situation with the COVID. No delegations meet at all. This is basically kind of our bridge, our interface between the two parliaments. I think this is an important way of talking to each other. And also, as opposed to the context of the government, this group is supposed to also reflect the diversity of political range in Turkey. So we are also uh, talking, of course, not on, only to AKP colleagues, but also to people from uh, CHP and from other opposition parties. Have you had a chance to come to Turkey as the chair of the delegation? Uh, yes, yes. It, it was my highest priority to do so right at the beginning. So I used the time already, I think it was November, I think it was end of November, when I went on a a small political mission, so without the delegation, but myself as the mm-hmm. chair, meeting with various signatories, with, with very, various uh, people, also meeting with representatives of NGOs and civil society. This was my kind of initial trip to Ankara. Then I went to Istanbul uh, on the 24th of December to observe the trial uh, hearing of Osman Kavala. This was my second trip. And then we had, in February, we had an official trip of a delegation of our Foreign Affairs Committee, which was 
proposed by myself and by us. So it was not a delegation, but it was a kind of a broader range of parliamentarians with the chair of Foreign Affairs Committee, David McAllister, and myself. I lived and worked in Brussels as a journalist myself between the years 2005 and 2008. That was high time for the relationship, as you can remember. We are talking about this period right after the opening of negotiations with Turkey. During those years, the chair of the EU-Turkey Parliamentary Committee had always been among the key people I interacted as a journalist. And of course, that remains to be the case. But the priorities of both sides have shifted dramatically in the, in the 15 years that I was referring to since formal negotiations with Turkey opened. We'll have to compare the notes because I wasn't there uh, 15 <laughs> years ago, uh, at least not in Brussels. But of course, I followed the situation and I know, and I know what you mean. We've gone a long way backwards, I would say. Very sad development, very problematic situation that we are in now. This hopeful time of this aspirations uh, of the Turkish society and Turkish government to become member of the European family, including the values and the constitutional framing. These are unfortunately kind of the romantic memories that we share. Nowadays, the situation is much more complicated and much more difficult. Probably it was during one of your visits to Turkey. They asked you about why you accepted the job. And you said that we have a common future. We have a common European future. And that was very striking to me when I heard it, because we don't hear such a statement from European politicians anymore. So before coming here today to talk to you, I checked the archive. And uh, the exact quotation from that interview was more or less something like this. Even if we criticize each other and go as far as using harsh language when having an argument, these all need to be based on the basis of mutual trust. This is at least an interpretation of what you said. One and a half year on, do you believe Turkey and EU managed to adjust relations on the basis of a mutual trust that you were referring to. Because as you mentioned a while ago, it seems to me things have gotten even worse uh, because of the East Med crisis. And what concerns me as a journalist and as, as a citizen of Turkey, of course, that now the EU is hooked up with these big geopolitical questions. Crisis of the media and crisis of freedom of expression in Turkey have almost become a secondary issue for many politicians in Turkey. This is how I feel. You know, I agree with you, and I'm a little bit concerned. I share the concerns of my Greek colleagues. Absolutely, we need to be aware and, and to work against escalation in the Mediterranean. And we need to be on alert regarding provocations on both sides, I would say. We should be fair. Mm -hmm. And we should be neutral and balanced. But I think it's interesting that the EU at the Commission uh, gets its act, its act together when it is about oil and gas and not when it is about human rights, exactly. media, etc., etc. that we have. And this is something that is really concerning to me 
And this is something that I think we should have a pause, you know, and think about. And of course, it goes without saying that nobody from the EU side, but also in the international community, should even dare to question someone's sovereign rights. But I think that what we have uh, as a situation in the Mediterranean is a little bit different and a little bit more complex than uh, some are trying to say. As an international lawyer, I must say that I see the international law perspective regarding the Eastern Mediterranean as very complicated and ambivalent. We should be careful not to escalate a situation because we're talking about fossil fuels rather than uh, human rights. And this is kind of like <laughs> a long answer to your concern, no, which yeah. I share. As a European Parliament, I must, I must tell you, and, and this is probably, you know, uh, uh, most of the colleagues will share, we stand on the side of our Greek colleagues and members in terms of their interests and in terms of their sovereignty. But I, as a person, would like to be careful on many of those issues and would like to insist that in situations like those, we should listen to both sides. And there I go with the line of uh, my German government, even though I'm in opposition here, we need to freeze the situation. We need to, to calm the situation and we need to bring the parties back to the table. I do not agree with kind of the more escalating language that we hear from some other capital. I am sure that you followed the recent social media law that was passed in the Turkish parliament before the summer recess. And uh, to remind our audience, this social media law is a way of the Turkish government to tighten the grip on social media and also the independent media outlets which do use social media as the main tool in reaching the public in Turkey. When you talk to the Turkish government, they say that uh, they are not the only ones coming up with such a law. And usually they give the example of the German social media law, which was passed in 2018. And do you think it's reasonable and fair to compare Turkey's social media law with the German social media law? To begin with, I am a skeptic regarding the German social media mm-hmm. law. Even within the German context and the German discussions, I am very careful about the tools that were introduced and are introduced here in Germany and in, in other countries, precisely because I know about the effect that it might have in countries looking at the situation here in Germany. This is number one, just, just to, be, to be clear. But at the same time, I see differences and they are essential between the situation in Germany with the German law and with many other laws, including Turkey. The big thing that I think is important to emphasize, German law explicitly excludes news and information because we have a press, a very strong press protection, media protection in Germany and German constitutional law. As far as I understand, The Turkish law includes news items and information. And this is one big, even kind of on the first glance, difference between the two. Number two, 
These are two different trends. We have to see laws in their context. You know, I'm a lawyer myself. My PhD is on freedom of expression. I think it's important to see in which context this law came about in Turkey. And this trend is very similar to many other countries where you have an authoritarian trend. That means all other media have been either disciplined, let's put it this way, or bought out by loyalists of the government. The only space for free exchange of news and opinions becomes internet. And we have this trend in Russia. We have this trend in Belarus now, which is very visible. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have this trend in Turkey. This is only logical that the governments who want to get more control over discourse in the country start regulating the internet, the, the last free space for discourse. And this is the trend that we're seeing in Turkey. The German law is not part of a similar trend. In Germany, this law is enacted in order to stop the negative spillovers of discussion and discourse regarding minorities and regarding um, kind of regular individuals. It is about combating anti-Muslim hatred, for example. So it's not about defending the state defending the dignity of president or president's family. This is not about dignity of institutions. This is about dignity of regular people and citizens. And this is another difference in kind of the genesis, right? The how these laws came about. And the third big difference, which is important, is the rule of law context where it happens. We have a strong rule of law context in Germany. We can criticize certain parts, but this is, you know, compared to any other European country, rule of law in Germany is a functioning system and the democracy is a functioning system. Whereas in Turkey, we have witnessed and we've been witnessing a deterioration of judicial culture. We have been witnessing how judges have been dismantled, those who had more experience and maybe more independence were replaced by younger and more kind of open towards loyal loyalism uh, judges. Quite honestly, even just, just following the Kavala case, you can see how courts are either, either playing the game of the state attorney, who represents usually the, the state line, the, the government line, or they are disciplined for example, when we saw just recently how judges were put under pressure just because they decided to follow the European Court of Human Rights verdict. This is also a third and a very important point. There is no checks and balances functioning in Turkey for now, I would say, critically. And, and there is a checks and balance uh, rule of law system that is functioning in Germany. Since you mentioned the judiciary and the ongoing um, uh, court cases in Turkey, you were talking about Osman Kavala's trial. The trials of some of my jailed colleagues are no different. So it could be interesting to get your personal impressions from that courtroom. How you remember that day? Well, you know, I must say, you know, I come from a different legal culture. I'm a German, German trained attorney and of course being even in the room 
as the room was in this prison near Istanbul, which was basically overwhelming. It's a huge room with a you know big state flag and and where where people and citizens look very small. The the the, the judge is, is presiding, the uh, state attorney presiding, and then there are those many people and it's a, it's a, it was a big you know it's a gazi it's not just a cavallo case it uh, it wasn't at least at that point so there were multiple people who were accused and and their lawyers and everyone was was lost in this huge room and this is already this kind of speaks the and and frames the context where we are in I know from my understanding of democracy and rule of law is that we always have the rights of the imprisoned or of the accused people as part of our democratic substance. And if those rights are not respected, then our democracy is not respected. And and what I've witnessed there very often was a very dismissive way of dealing with applications or with with inquiries by the defense and by those who were were accused of those alleged crimes. So this is this is number one and probably most important because you know we can go into details of the hearing but the details of the hearing is not what your listeners are interested in my impressions were determined also by this this whole setting. Mm-hmm. And I think this is part of it how does how do we see judges what is their function in our system in the democracies you know judges are those who uh, speak justice they are really checks and balances part of the checks and balances equation they check the power of the state of the government they limit the power of the government and they protect even those who are accused with horrible crimes you know how many times it happens in germany that people who are accused of horrible horrible crimes where where the whole public is outraged are acquitted or get soft sentences but this is how judges see themselves i mean just as an example we just had a this is this is not a criminal case and maybe it's not very appropriate to to compare but we had this 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 judgment of the german constitutional court on the eu and that the eu uh, should not overstep its boundaries regarding the european bank and it was a, a huge outrage also of pro european people like myself uh of the institutions in 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 brussels etc etc and of course it it brought the government the german government in a very very uncomfortable situation but the judges said this is how we see uh law this is how we see justice and this is our opinion and we don't let ourselves being put under pressure by anyone and this is the attitude that you get and you carry with you in germany as part of this legal and justice system this is not the attitude that you can have in turkey not because the people are you know the, the lawyers are less courageous or whatever but because the courageous lawyers and and judges have been brushed aside by certain developments and because they those who are on the bench know under how much pressure they could get if they don't obey and this is the problem with a system which is not quite in sync with kind of the standards of rule of law as we understand it and this is the point we need to get there together 
right? I mean, this is not like the better educated, the more rightly thinking German telling the Turkish people how to behave. It's not about that. It's about how can we serve our citizens better within the European framework. And this European framework is, includes Turkey. This is what I keep saying. For me, Turkish society is part of the European space, of the European space of values and of culture and of legal culture. And that's why I do think and I keep appealing to the uh, Turkish authorities to do again and again everything possible to keep us together and not to tear us apart. Because this means that Turkey as a society is leaving this joint space of European culture and I don't want it. And I don't think it's right. It would be a wrong, wrong, wrong decision. Well, it seems to me we have already left that space in terms of uh, our judiciary. But the question is, will the Turkish government be back to reforming the Turkish judiciary and other institutions which are on the brink of collapse in Turkey? And what is the role that the European Parliament can play in terms of restarting a real debate with Turkey, with Turkish government, with Erdogan government? Is there a way that haven't been tried yet uh, with Ankara? Well, my, I'm not a commissioner, right? I'm a, I'm, a Euro, I'm a parliamentarian. Parliament has its word to say on certain issues, on issues of, for example, financing and finances. So, for example, it was important for us to fight for keeping financing civil society in Turkey in the upcoming legislative period. But we also are a place of dialogue and of discourse. And to be honest, I'm a little bit sad that we still were not able to meet our Turkish colleagues. This is another constant theme that I keep repeating. We need bilateral meetings. Those meetings by our Turkish colleagues haven't materialized so far, even though I'm in very good contact with my colleague Karayel from the Turkish parliament. Could you clarify for our audience why those meetings haven't taken place yet? Well, apart from the COVID situation, which is different, there are some misunderstandings and some disagreements on the composition of the bureau of the delegation, who should be vice chairs uh, of the delegation, etc., etc. And this is an ongoing debate, and then this is an ongoing discussion. I think this is very sad that we haven't moved beyond that and haven't met haven't been able to meet together. And I hope that this will happen sometime because my our colleagues should understand we are friends. We are on the side of Turkish society and of Turkish politicians because there will be questions and there will be topics where we would need support of the parliament and this support should be secured also through a constant dialogue. It's very difficult to react to every single violation of human rights and violation of rule of law, because they are massive. Therefore, it's very, it pains me not to fulfill every hope and every expectation that is invested in us. But that's why we are, we're working on certain 
files and certain issues looking for ways of kind of applying our political pressure and political instruments on points where we think that these are the decisive one because we will not be able to help every single person there are too many of them uh, who are affected and this is something that really hurts me because you have a feeling that you fail every day right because you cannot address every single destiny and fate i do hope that our colleagues in turkey will understand our concern and that we will join forces in changing the situation in turkey but also in the european union you know there are many issues which i think are of mutual concern and mutual interest in the european union and our societies in europe to mention islamophobia or you know animosity towards muslims or vis-a-vis just citizens of turkish origins not all of them are religious right but many of them are discriminated and i think we have to work on that together on the other side so it's not just black and white and one one direction but it is important for us to make sure that turkish civil society and turkish citizens well can count on this common european future i still continue to believe in it let's work on that believe me it pains me as well um, as a journalist and uh, as a citizen of this country talking about bigger and worse human rights violations after 15 years after uh, opening of negotiations with the European yes. Union. Hopefully in the next months, years to come, we will have positive news coming out of Turkey as well. I would like to keep the spritz up now that we are closing. Thank <laughs> you so hope. much. Thank you so much for your candid remarks, uh, for taking the time to be with us today on the Freedom Dialogues brought to the world by the International Press Institute. Hopefully, we'll have you again some other time, maybe during your next visit to Turkey. I don't know when that's going to happen. And of Let's course, hope uh, that it happens soon. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure. Thank always. you so much. Stay healthy and uh, stay safe wherever you, you are. You too. And all the best to all our listeners in Turkey. Let's fight for the European future for all of us. This podcast was produced with the financial support of the European Union. However, IPI has the sole responsibility of the content. Discussions and views expressed here do not necessarily reflect the views of the European Union.